Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. 1 Peter chapter 2, if you have your Bible, um, looking at the turnaround and knowing that God is the God who is able to turn things around because he's greater than whatever needs turned around in your life. And the love of God changes everything. The love of God puts all things in perspective. He's greater than whatever it is that you need changed, whatever it is that you need God to do. He is greater than that. How many believe God is greater than whatever it is that you're facing, whatever you might be going through, that he is greater than what you're going through? Your current condition is not your determined destiny. I want to talk to you today about your identity, knowing the love of Christ, knowing who you are in Christ. Would you stand with me today in 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're looking at the scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 7, it says this, you who trust him in Jesus recognize the honor that God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. Somebody tell your neighbor, tell me you're not like that. You're not like that. But you are not like that. Let me tell you who you are. You are not like that. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, today you can leave here knowing who you are, knowing your true identity, knowing who you are. You are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. I want to tell you who you are today. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are the possession of God. Father, I pray that our eyes would be open to the truth of your word. And God, that our hearts would receive and come to, come to the reality of who we are in Christ. So God, we thank you for this truth. Let it come alive in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen, amen. amen. Hey, find somebody around you and just ask them, say, who are you? Who, who are you and why are you sitting beside me? Maybe not. Don't, you don't have to add that. <laughs> who are you? This morning, I want to just share from this title directly, no, nothing fancy. This is the title today. This is who you are. I want to talk about who you are. I want to talk about who you are, knowing who you are in Christ. If I were to bring a microphone to you today and ask you to introduce yourself to everybody, some of you would crawl under your seat, some of you would play dead and act like there's no microphone around. But those of you that would take the microphone and, and would give an introduction, if you were to introduce yourself to people, what would you say? It's probably likely that you'd start with giving your name. You'd probably be not just add your first name, but you'd give your, your, your last name as well because the last name becomes an indicator. You start describing, and, and maybe if your last name has some, some uh, recognition, you might have the response I had when I was the new kid in ninth grade, and I went to a new high school, and the uh, teacher, of course, in the class calls everybody's name. He looks, and he says, you're new. I said, yes. He says, are you related? And he named Tim Lamer. He named my uncle. He said, are you related to him? I said, yeah, that's my uncle. He put his head down. He shook his head and said, oh, my God. 
I had no idea what was going on ahead of me, but I was already marked from the time I just got there. And so, uh, I don't know, you, you introduce yourself. You start with who, what your name is. You probably go with where you're from and, and where you were born or, or where you live now because we realize this, that when you tell somebody where you're from, that already carries a stereotype that people already identify. Well, if you're from this area, then we know people like that. And we, we put people in categories. We do the best we can to tell people who we are. You're also going to venture into this aspect as well of who you are. You're going to start naming what you do. You're going to start naming the things that you're involved in. Start identifying your family. You're giving the details and the pictures and putting pieces together to help people recognize and know who you are. How do you introduce yourself? Do you know who you are? And the truth is we can only tell people so much because there's certain things about us we don't even fully know. There's certain things about us that we're still discovering and knowing who we are. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I know I am in Christ, but every day and on a regular basis, I'm still growing to understand and discover what that really means. I don't know if anybody else can relate to this. I've known that I'm in Christ from the time I grew up in church. My dad's a preacher. I grew up around people telling me how I need to act and what, I, what a Christian should do and how it should be. I've done church. I've grown up around church. I know church life. But even though I know church life, I'm still in the process of learning what it really means to be identified and solidified in my purpose and my place with Jesus Christ. I'm still learning how much he loves me. Paul even says this. I says, I pray that you would know how wide, how deep, how long, how high the love of God is. Though it is a mystery you'll never fully comprehend that you would still pursue, that you would still know. I'll never master in its completion the love that Jesus Christ has for me. I just won't. I just won't be able to master it all. But when I come to the reality and knowing who I am in Christ, when I know who I am, how are you identifying yourself? Because who you are matters. When it comes to the turnaround, it's important to know our true identity because if we don't change what we believe about ourselves, we will not experience the full identity or the full turnaround that God wants to have and bring about in our lives. It matters who you are. It matters how you see yourself. How you see yourself will reflect how you conduct and how you carry yourself. There are certain things of, of just how we perceive, what we, we see going on in our life. Many of us look in mirrors. We do it on a regular basis. You probably looked in a mirror today. You, you got the idea of what needed addressed. I want to thank you today that you woke up and did not just come to church just the way you woke up. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for taking some time in front of the mirror. Thank you for spending some time. Thank you for, for making that moment. But the mirror tells us what we see, and from that, how we see and what we see determines how we respond. I've been looking at a mirror for, for a number of years now, and things have changed on the other side of that mirror. Uh, that, that mirror has become a little different. I, I had a picture a couple weeks ago that I showed Leah. She was in my office, and uh, uh, Leah Manny, I showed her a picture. It was of Jordan and I when Jordan was baptized eight years ago when we came to this church, and I showed her the picture for her to be ooh and ah about Jordan being baptized. She says, oh, you had hair. <laughs> Things change after a while. I couldn't blame it all on her. She's only been around four years, so I couldn't blame all of it on, on, uh, on that. But things change in the seasons, in the moments. You look at the mirror, it tells you what you need to respond to. When I was in fifth grade, and I remember fifth grade because it, it was a year that I can still see my school picture. My school picture was that, uh, that striped yellow and uh, white shirt that I picked up that summer that I thought it would finally be cool. I would look cool. Uh, how many know we still try to do our best to look cool? How many know some people don't grow out of it? We, I remember in fifth grade trying to really fit in. I want to make sure that, that I'm, I'm in the group. Um, some people just naturally get in the group and other people 
it takes a little bit to get in the group. I was always that kid that took a little bit to get in the group. I was always that kid that, in fact, when I went to the new school, uh, I went to the new school, and one of the first questions a new kid asked me, hey, were you cool in your other school? I'm in ninth grade at that point, and I realized this kid just wants to know if I was cool somewhere else, because if I was cool somewhere else, then maybe I could be cool here. Uh, this, in fifth grade, I, I remember before moving, of course, I, I, I went to uh, uh, getting ready for school one day, and it's at that age when everything's changing, and uh, you realize that there are there is a bumper crop of things you did not plant or grow or desire, and it starts to reveal itself on your forehead. How many know what I'm talking about? Uh, I was at that stage of life where I knew that this isn't cool. I don't want this. What I saw in the mirror was not attractive, was not what I liked. I want to do everything I can to fit in, and, and this is going to sound so bizarre, and I, I realize it's, it's, it's really stupid, but it's the picture of what we do when we don't like what we see I remember knowing that mom said that if it burns, it's helping. So I took a razor and put it over a couple of my zits and then took rubbing alcohol to take care of what was left. Hallelujah. I knew I was Pentecostal that moment. I shouted. Stupid. But I look on those moments and I know that that was me wanting to do whatever I could about the stuff I didn't like in the mirror. I wanted to do something about what I didn't like, and the reason I didn't like it is because I saw myself in comparison to other people. I saw what they would look for, what their approval might be, and trying to fit in, trying to gain the approval, not really knowing who I really am, but wanting that identity, not realizing that this is a season of my life that's going to pass because those things in the mirror, I don't have those same issues. Now i got to get a razor out for a different reason. I've matured. I've found out what that thing's really for. There, there's things that have changed, but what doesn't change is who I am in Christ because the one who created me fearfully and wonderfully made me in my mother's womb, and before I was even born, he called me and had a purpose for my life. He loved me before I performed one act, before I ever did a good deed. He loved me. He knew me. He saw me, and in the midst of my struggle and in the midst of my pain, he still loved me and saw me, the one who never changes, the one who created me in his image and gave me his identity. He loved me from the very beginning, and I'm still learning how to know and swim and lavish in the love that Jesus Christ has for me, to know that in him I am enough and he is enough in me. I'm still growing and learning what that really means because I've got a mirror that I look in all the time. I've got a mirror every day that I go to and it reveals and tells me things and, and it identifies and, and some of us today have to be careful of what it is, how we see ourselves because if you don't see yourself in the right way, you'll always be striving to get someone else's attention, someone's approval and missing the fact that the one that matters has had your approval or he's loved you and approved of you from the very beginning. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There is nothing, there's no height, there's no depth, there's nothing that you can do to outrun or to get away from the love of God, the only thing you can do to make God stop loving you is reach the place of hell and complete separation. I've said this before. What makes hell hell is not that it's dark and it's fire. That's bad enough. But what makes hell hell is that the presence of God is nowhere near. To be absolutely abolished and absent from the presence of God. I don't even know. What, I can't even imagine what that would be like. 
there's a place, but nowhere. The love of God is strong. It's for you. Do you know who you are? John 8, Jesus said these words. You are truly my disciples. Notice if. The if is always a a, a condition that we have to identify. He says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, to my word. And then he follows it. He says right behind it. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We often know this text, that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is a freedom when we know who we are in Christ that we live free from fear, free free from insecurity, fear, free, 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 free. But we live free from the fear that holds us, the, the fear that we have of the insecurity not being accepted, the guilt. When we live free from the guilt that would overwhelm us, that when we can be at a place that we truly know who we are in Christ, if we know who we are in Christ, it causes us to walk in this freedom. I want you to hear this key phrase, this key statement. This is the walk away, the takeaway, the hope that I, 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 what I hope that you carry with you, and that is this, that God's word must become your mirror. God's word must become your mirror. How you see yourself. I'm glad you took time today to put your hair back in place, comb it back over, whatever direction it needs to go. I'm glad you took time to address that whatever was going on on your eyelid and whatever's coming out, whatever direction on your, your, your nose. That's disgusting. Quit it. I'm not a youth pastor anymore. Just stop. I'm glad you spent time in front of the mirror, but can I ask you, when was the last time you spent time in front of the mirror? You spend time in front of the mirror, the stuff that changes, that we, we realize that there's change that takes place. We go through different seasons, but what about the mirror that never changes? The one who said, I've created you perfectly and wonderfully in my image. I know who you are. I love you. That we look into the mirror, that God's word needs to become the mirror through which we look at what we're identifying, that we are identifying what it is that we see because the importance is this, the difference between those who receive Christ and those who reject Christ have to do with his word. It's his word. It's what we do with God's word. Listen, what it says in 1 Peter, that, that literally the gospel is, is like a magnet. And how many know that when a magnet, that when a magnet goes with another magnet, it pushes away from that. But whenever it attracts something, when it's something that will attract to it, it has the opposite sides of a magnet that can attract or, or, or push away. That whatever it is, you will be attracted to Christ depending on how you respond to God's word. The text that we read in 1 Peter says this, that he, Jesus, is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. To obey God's word literally or simply means this, to not rebel. When you obey something, you're not rebelling, and when you're not rebelling, you're not rejecting. That when you reject God's word, it is the step to rejecting Jesus and will lead to the plan that was all along the scripture we just read it says and they will meet the fate that was planned for them I want you to know today you have a choice in the matter there is a teaching and some that would share in this idea of predestination that no one has a choice that however you're born that God will elect some he chooses some that's not how it is predestination is not that I'm going to get on an airplane at some point and I've got a meeting in Minneapolis and when I get on the airplane and I fly to Minneapolis I know that where I'm heading I am predestined to go to Minneapolis why because I got on the plane that's headed to Minneapolis it wasn't that thing where I'm like well I just showed up to the airport and what do you know I was meant to go to Minneapolis no I made a decision on which plane to get on you're making a decision you have a choice 
choice in the matter. That God has chosen you, that many are called but few are chosen. The whole idea that God is wanting that none should perish, but you have a choice in the matter. You, you choose today whether or not you'll receive the word of God, that you'll receive Jesus Christ and allow his word to come into your heart. You make a decision. It's predestined, not your destiny, but the result of the choice that you make. Now, God in his sovereignty, God in his glory, he knows the choice that you and I are going to make. He knows the direction that we're going to head. You are predestined, not because God chose you from the, the beginning to one go to hell, one go to heaven. He chose you from the beginning to know him. He created you and I in his image, every single one of us. But we all come to a place that we have to make a decision. And if you allow the word of God to come into your life, then how many know the word of God is going to predestine you to the hope and the promise? But if you reject the word of God, then you'll also go to that predestined place. That you will go for the path that was, just, that was in front of you, that what was already laid out. It's not your path, it's just you have two choices and there's only two. To either receive Jesus Christ or reject Jesus Christ. There's only two choices. At the end of the day, there's only two things that matter. At the end of the day, there's only two categories that people fall into. It's not those who have and have not. It's not those who have peace and don't have peace. The only thing that matters at the end of every day is those with Jesus and those without Jesus. Those who receive Jesus and those who reject Jesus. The reason that's important at the end of the day is because I'm not guaranteed the next day. I've only got this breath, this moment, and what matters in this moment is whether or not I am in Christ. I want you to know today that if anyone has ever tried to make you think that God chooses some and not others, that is a foolish idea and approach to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not willing that any should perish. He loves all. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. That's a choice. You can harden your heart. If you hear his voice, if you hear him drunk, do not harden your heart. Today is the day to salvation. Today is the day to respond. You have a choice in the matter. This is so important because we live in a culture that really likes to relinquish us of responsibility couldn't help it. I have something to blame it on. It's my background. It's my condition. It's this situation. It's this whatever. We, we have these things that we can look at and we really put ourselves sometimes in a place where it's like, I can't help it. I want you to know by the grace of God, he gives you the power and the ability to do something, to allow those choices to be made. When you discipline yourself in making right choices, you'll get better at making good choices. Choices, making choices is like a muscle that you exercise. When you become lazy and you don't make the choice to do the right thing and you constantly allow yourself to, to neglect doing the responsible thing, you will become lazy not because you can't help it but because you never exercise the muscle in your brain that helps you discipline yourself and move in the direction you need to go. You allow yourself to remain in a condition like anything else. It needs work. And how many know the more you work at it, the more you develop it, the more you do it, it develops in you the more of a routine and more of an ability to respond in the ways that need to, be, need to respond in our lives. How we respond to the word of God is what really matters. And the word of God needs to be the mirror through which we see ourselves. How do you see yourself today? What is it that we look at? And we can oftentimes try to meet approval and have people's acceptance but I want to tell you today who you are in Christ, not who God has just called you to be. God, from the very beginning, he created you in his image. There is nothing wrong with the way that God created you in his image, but there's everything wrong with us walking away from the image of God and trying to recreate ourselves. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. I want you to know who you are in Christ. Here's who you are in Christ. Number one, you are wanted. You are wanted. Peter tells us this, he says, uh, he says these words that you are a chosen people. 
when you choose something, it's by want. Now, there's been a, uh, a debate that's been going on, and uh, I don't know if it, it's probably existed long before, but it really started in, in my home, Jody and I, and uh, a conversation of asking ourselves the question, would you rather be needed or would you rather be wanted? There's always an opinion in that, and uh, my wife has an opinion and I have an opinion, but I'm, con- I'm confirmed in my heart that I've got the right answer. She's not in this service, so I can say that with confidence right now. And uh, hopefully she won't be watching the Facebook Live. Uh, I'm confident because here's what I, I would rather be wanted than needed. Need can make you fall in love, but want will help you stay in love. Need can make you fall in love. You can, you can love for the length that you need something, then you love it for the length that you need it, but you no longer need it, then you, hey, But if you want something, how many know that you want and love that as long as the desire is there and you always have a choice in the matter? You have a choice. You have a choice in the matter that I would rather, and here's the picture of this. Why do I say that? Because God wants you. He desires you. He chose you. He selected you. He created you from the very beginning. He is desiring and pursuing you. It is something of desire for you and I to be be pursued by the presence and the person of Jesus Christ, that he has chosen you and I, that there is a value in being wanted. Everybody wants to belong. Everybody wants to belong. There are some great churches that don't even preach Jesus. And they're not even churches. They're bar rooms. But they're a great church because people feel like they belong. They're great churches. Now, I realize it's not the church. But there are great places where people feel a connection and feel like they belong. Why? Because everything we're looking for is to be accepted, to feel like we matter, to feel like we belong, to feel like we have a place. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all about whosoever. Come to me, all who are weary, that I will give you rest. He is all-inclusive. He's not saying check your issues at the door and then come in. No, he's saying you come in your brokenness. You come in your, in your condition. You come whosoever will. His love is lavishing upon you and I. He wants you today. He wants you. I want you to know today that he loves you. He desires you. He wants you. He chose you. He looked at you and he was pursuing you. In fact, John tells us this in John 15. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. You didn't start this. This was God's idea from the very beginning. This was his doing. He pursued you and I. You didn't find Jesus. Jesus found you, and you finally opened up to how much he loves you. And you received the love that God has for you. Let me tell you, that's important because you can't pursue him. There's nothing in you that can walk towards his righteousness. Why? Because we all are sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We're not able. We cannot in ourselves. But thanks be to Jesus Christ that he has made a way, that he has made it possible for you and I to come into his presence. You know why he did that? Because he wants you. He wants you in his presence. He desires you. And I know we can read sometimes the word that will convict us and tell us that we need to respond. But even his conviction is his love drawing us. It's his love compelling us. It's his love that we would not walk in the errors and the foolishness of life, but that we would experience the hope and the grace, the peace, the mercy that he has for you. I want you to know today he wants you. He pursues you. He's running after you. Number two, I want you to know today is this. Not only are you wanted, but you're welcome. You're welcome. 
It's that place where you're welcomed in. You're welcome to come into his presence. He's welcoming you. He's welcoming you into his presence. He says, you are a royal priest. The purpose of a priest, I want you to catch the significance of this, is, is the purpose of a priest is not just to have duty, but the first thing to realize about the priest is that the priest has access. Do you know that God has given you access today? He's welcoming you into his presence. He says that you are a royal priest, that you have the ability to come into the presence of God. In the Old Testament, it was meant that all of Israel could come into the presence of God. The only problem is that sin came into Israel, and God then had to set apart one tribe. He set apart the Levites. So the Levites then, during the Old Testament, were the only priests who could go into the presence of God. In fact, they had to wash. They had to go through ceremonial cleansing. They had to do everything that they had to do just right in order to go to the presence of God. They were the only ones that could go. In fact, Saul, who was the first king of Israel, he tried to do what only the priest was meant to do. He got out of bounds. He did what he wasn't supposed to do and did what only a priest should have done because only priests can do that. But when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. What separated us was torn away. And he gave you and I access that now because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we get to come into the throne room, into the place of his presence. He welcomes you and I in. He's creating a place and he's inviting us to come. And you and I have this privilege. Do you know that you really have a place of belonging when someone says, hey, this is for you, this is yours? I, uh, I love it at... Uh, uh, there's um, uh, some friends that, that we have, and uh, if I go over to visit them, if they know that I'm coming, they put certain soda in the refrigerator because they know I'm showing up. Hey, we got this for you. Do you know what that says to me? We were expecting you. We were welcoming you. We wanted you to be here. I made it possible. I'm look, I looked out for Do you know God has looked out for you to be here? He's looked out for that place. He's creating that place for you and I. Romans 8.30 says this, And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave him right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. He calls you into his presence. The veil has been torn. Know today who you are. You are wanted. You are chosen of God. Know who you are. You are welcomed. He's created a place. He's made it possible for you and I to come into his presence. Number three, you are worth it. You are worth it. Here, here's what he says. You are a holy nation. And we already know this. The only way that we're a holy nation is... How many would realize this? There's not one of us in here holy. How many know except for Jesus Christ in our life? There's nothing in us that's holy. And so he made us holy. And guess what he did by making us holy? He made us worth being able to carry his name. We're worth it. This whole thing of being a holy nation really means family. He's made us family. How many know that there's something special about family? There's a significance, there's, a, there's this, this, this tie, this connection about family. I've got the, the ability and the opportunity to look out for my family in ways that, hey, I love you, but I'm not looking out for you that way. I know where there's certain needs, and I've given offers and things. Why? Because it's family. Does it mean I don't love you? I, I do love you, but that's my family. That family has that responsibility. I carry a responsibility with that. And here's the, the responsibility. God says, that's my family. And so because it's my family, I've made them holy, not in, my, not in what they could do, but what, it, but what in, I have done for them, that he's done the work on the cross. And because of the work that he's done on the cross, he's allowed us to have worth. He's given us value. He said that we belong, and he's given us worth because the only way that we can belong is because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. He paid the price. How many know it's called a price for a reason? It's called a price for a reason. It was a ransom. 
that you and I had sin. Because of the sin, we're not able to be in the presence of God, but Jesus paid the price with his own life. In doing that work, 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are worth it. It's who you are. He's called you family. He even says for this reason, we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. He's created that place and he knows us. That He loves us. You're worth it. I want you to hear number four is this. You are without fault. Somebody needs set free today from your past. You are without fault. I know there's someone in the room like, you just said we have a choice. Yeah, your choice is whether to choose Jesus or not choose Jesus. To receive his word or reject his word, that's the choice. And beyond that, he washes us white as snow. It's not a clean, it's not a, a, a bill of rights to do whatever we want because, by the way, we have no rights. We, we have no rights in ourselves. The only rights that we have is that Jesus Christ has given us access and what we have in him. We don't have it to ourselves. I don't deserve any of it. If it was a right, then I deserved it. I don't deserve anything. It's only the mercy and the grace of God that I have anything. We're caught up in a culture that's all about our rights, my rights, my rights, my rights. Your rights are this, that all the same of what we have in Christ, and I don't deserve anything except that God's mercy and grace has been poured out on my life. This is, this, is, this is what I have. For that then, this is the privilege of being able to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. To, to know who I am in Christ. That my identity is not in the things that surround me. Much of our identity in our culture is connected to what we do. And you know this because if you talk to somebody, it doesn't take long before the conversation goes into, so what do you do? Where do you work? What do you do? What's your, it's all about what we do. We're identified by what we do. I want you to hear this today and, and maybe even write this down, but this, this has to be a turnaround in our way of thinking, in our identity, in how we see ourselves. Listen to this. You are not what you do. You are not what you do. You're not what you do. You're not a good person because you do good deeds because good people doesn't matter. You're not what you do. You're not what you do. You're not just in a place of where you are, your past, some of us are still carrying the stuff that's been done, to, been done by us, and some of us are still being reminded by other people, that's who you are, that's who you are, and why is that who you are? Because that's what you did. And some of us are stuck with a label because of what we've done. But the blood of Jesus washes us white as snow, and who we were is no longer who we are, because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. Your past is washed away. It's no longer what you've done. And our culture, and, and let's be real, it doesn't, it, it follows us in different avenues and areas where we can look at people and well, you know what they did. You know what they did. And I realize what you do is important. But let me finish it. You are not what you do. You are who you belong to. And who you belong to determines what you do. Let me say that again. 
You are not what you do. You are who you belong to. And who you belong to determines what you do. I don't do good things to become something. I allow this in me that I'm now able to reflect the glory of God. That now I'm able to be light in a dark place. Now I'm able to show the goodness and the glory of God. Why? Because I'm trying to attract God? No, because I know who I am in Christ. And because of who I am in Christ, I cannot help but live in the true identity of who I am. I live in the purpose and this hope. I am set free. I'm no longer what I used to be. The enemy tries to keep you bound. There's some of us today that the enemy's still trying to tell you, remember what you did? Remember what your past is? Remember the time you did? Some of us are still being told by people and we're looking in the mirror. And when we look in the mirror, like the five, the fifth grader is looking in the mirror and doesn't just see what he sees. He sees what other people are going to say about what he sees. When I looked in the mirror and I saw that as a fifth grader, it wasn't just, ooh, I don't like that. I immediately went to, I don't like that because I know what someone else is going to say about that. I didn't like it because I didn't like it. I didn't like it because I didn't want to not be accepted. I didn't want them to point out my flaw. I didn't want them to see. You might have the wrong them looking at your life. You might have the wrong perspective. I realize I've got nothing against having a nice car, but I want you to know sometimes we just want what we want because somebody else had it, so I want it too. We just want what we want because we need the, 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 the condition and the things that, that look, and we sometimes get so caught up in the appearance, and I get, look in the mirror, get yourself in order, but I wonder, have you spent so much time looking in the mirror, taking care of this thing and coloring that thing and shaving that thing and popping that thing that you forgot to spend some time looking in the mirror that tells you the one thing that'll never change, that you are loved and you are called of God, that you are purposed in His heart and condition. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. This is not just in theory. This is truth and reality. And I've got to look at it every day and let this be the mirror through which I evaluate, through which I see my life, through which I see my world, that I'm looking through this mirror, that this affects how I see the world. It affects how I see myself. It affects how I let God work in my life. Listen to what he says in Colossians 1.21. This includes you, those who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and your actions. Yet now, notice your evil thoughts and your actions. Raise your hand if you've ever had an evil thought or an evil action. It's just participation. It's just see if we're here. Every single one of us in this room, we've all had an evil thought, an evil action. There's something in us. He says, you were enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy. You are blameless. And now you stand before him without a single fault. Somebody thank Jesus for the freedom that he's given to us. That he doesn't look at your past. see yourself through his eyes he doesn't look at you at that failure he doesn't look at you at that grievance he doesn't look at you for what you did he looks at you and he sees the blood of Jesus that's been applied guess what Paul was a murderer now he's an apostle guess what David was an adulterer but now he's a man after God's own heart guess what God takes 
Peter who was racist, Peter who was discriminating. And God says to Peter, I'm going to build a rock upon this rock. I'm going to build the church because I'm not building on your current condition. I'm building upon your life because I see a hope and a glory. I have things in store and God is perfecting those things in us. He's not done working in your life. He's not done working in your life. So I want to say to you today, whosoever will. I don't care what your condition is. It doesn't matter. At the foot of the cross, He loves you. He doesn't put your sin over that sin or this condition over that condition. He says, I love you with an everlasting love. And whoever will come to Him will receive that love. Guess what that love will do? That love will change you from the inside out. The love of God will compel you. The love of God will transform you. The love of God. Oh, for the love of God. Why do I quit sinning? Because I don't want to go to hell? No, because God's been so good to me. I can't help but go after Him. I can't help but pursue Him. I can't help but pour my love out on Him. But we've got this, this acts condition together where we perform or where, we, where we're works-based or identity is what we do. I'm going to do good things. Why? Well, because I want to please God. Do you know God was already pleasing you? Your good deeds doesn't make God love you more. You don't get extra points for doing good deeds. His favor and His love has always been for you. Now you'll open up the heavens and allow yourself to feel and to know and walk in that goodness. But God's not pouring out. God, God doesn't have more love for you in reserve. Like, well, when they really get it together, I'll really give them a really good love. Right now they're just getting the secondary, almost there kind of love. You're getting close, hot hot, hotter, hotter. No, his love for you has always been the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's some, there's some people here today, you don't know the love of God, God wants you to know it. And then there's some other people, you knew the love of God, but you've gotten so good at religiosity and you've forgotten the love of God that now it's become more of what you do and you forgot to be lavished in the grace and the goodness and the freedom of who Jesus Christ is. To just know the one who sets you free. Let me close with this today. I am. Um, in Exodus chapter 8, it talks about the tabernacle and everything that they would build as Moses led the people into Israel. But I love this in Exodus chapter 8. They're told to build all the articles out of the gold and the stuff that was gotten from the from the from uh, the Egypt when where they were slaves. But then it comes time to making the specific wash basin. This is what the priests would use to wash themselves before entering the presence of God. And to create the wash basin, Moses said this, that the one who is creating, he took the looking glass or the mirror from the women who were in the temple, who worked outside the, the tabernacle. He took the looking glass, and what the looking glass was, this bronze metal that they would use, and that metal wasn't a mirror, but was their form of a mirror, and they would use that mirror to look at themselves and see themselves in just the right way before they would go into work that they were doing. He says, when you make the wash basin, use the mirrors that they use to look at themselves. And I love the picture of this, because every time they come into the presence of God, guess what they have to do? They have to look in the mirror, in the thing that represented the mirror, but now guess what? They don't just see the mirror. They now see the water that has washed and overtaken them. Now when they look, they don't just see their reflection. They see the one who has washed them and cleansed them. Ephesians chapter 5 says being washed 
by the washing of the word. This is the mirror. This is who you are. You're not what you've done. You're not what your parents told you. You're not what's been in your past. You are according to the truth of God's word. And if the Son sets you free,